New Year's is typically a time when people reflect over the past year. All of the things that they've done wrong or things that they want to improve for the next year. We call them resolutions. The only problem with resolutions is we keep them up till about February, maybe. Then we sort of forget that we made those resolutions. And yet at the same time, it's important that we recognize in the scheme of things every year to make an evaluation and just discover right where we are. You know, somebody took a chart and decided to map the average lifespan of a human being in terms of a 24-hour day. And with his plotting, he said, if you're 15 years old, then the time in your life is 10.25 a.m. If you're 20 years old, it's 11.23 a.m. If you're 30 years old, it's 1.15 in the afternoon. If you're 40 years old, it's 4.08 in the afternoon. If you're 50 years old, the time is 6.30 p.m. If you're 60 years old, it's 8.42 p.m. If you're 70 years old, it's 11 o'clock. And anything above that, it's pretty late. The question is, and really this is what this New Year's celebration is all about. What do you have to show for your life when it's all said and done with, when it's all finished? What did you live for? Are you really content? And probably New Year's is the best time to think about questions like that. And to not make a resolution, but as this is appropriately called, a revolution. There's a story about a little kid. He was discontented. He lived on a hill. And every afternoon as the sun would set, he would look across the valley and he would see this beautiful building with golden windows. And he thought to himself, boy, I'd love to live in that place. It must be a palace for a prince. He lived in an old shack. And he'd see the sunset and every day he'd see those gold windows and he longed to be in that palace. One day he decided, I'm going to make it over there and check it out. And so he made his way across that long valley and got to that so-called palace late in the afternoon and he saw that they weren't gold windows at all. That it was a beat up old barn with broken windows and all it was was the reflection of the golden sun on the pane glass. And he was very disappointed. There's a lot of people like that. They are searching for something, a career, a person, a position. And yet, once they grasp it, it's not what they thought it would be. It's so empty. And it's painful to make that kind of a discovery. It seems that we live in a unique nation and at a unique time. A hundred years ago, a survey was found and they asked Americans what their wants were, and they found that back a hundred years ago, the average American had seven wants. A recent survey conducted along the same lines discovered that the average American has 500 wants. A little bit different. The problem with a lot of people is that they drink from the wrong well for satisfaction. And let's face it, there's a lot of places in this country to drink from. There's the well of fame. There's the well of a career and making lots of money. There's the well of certain relationships that we think if I could only have that, I would be fulfilled and I would be happy. Well, in this little story that I'm going to read a section of tonight, there is a woman who goes to a well out in her hometown in Samaria. She's gone there to draw water. 
It's the heat of the day. She has no idea that she's about to meet the Messiah. She's going to have an encounter with someone who's going to change her life entirely. Though she has no idea. She was just going to do her business. Some of you have come tonight at the invitation of a friend or at the curiosity in your own mind. You just thought, oh, it's New Year's Eve. I'm going to party. I'm going to go to the New Year's thing here, the Kiev Auditorium, and then afterwards I'm going to party hardy. But it could be that God has an appointment with you tonight and the things are going to change before this evening is over with and we're going to hope and pray for that. In fact, toward the end of this message, we're going to give you an opportunity to make a decision much like this woman. Now let's look at this woman real briefly. Let me read a couple of passages. Jesus came to a city of Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, being tired from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, without reading the entire passage, let me give you a little thumbnail sketch of who this woman was. First of all, this woman had a religious background. She speaks about worshiping at Jerusalem or worshiping in the mountain that was there in Samaria. So she was raised up with a religious background like a lot of people. Now, she was not a religious person. But she had a background of religion. She grew up with hearing about God. She grew up going to whatever form of worship system they had there in Samaria. But the reality of life had set in. Now, as she looks through life, after having many marriages, she sees that religion isn't something to be preoccupied with now. It's not important. It's great to have it as a background. Great to know a little bit about God and religion, but come on, let's face it. Real life has nothing to do with religion. You know, a lot of people in this country especially feel that way. Some of you tonight have been raised in religious homes. I was raised in a religious home. I was raised hearing about God. And after a while I thought, that is so irrelevant to things like business, education, raising a family, real life. What does spiritual things have to do with the real world? And a lot of Americans feel the same way. In fact, a recent poll discovered that half of America does not see Christianity as relevant. In fact, the poll went on to say that over half and the people who see it as relevant are declining. They polled people who don't go to church. And of the top reasons that people don't go to church anymore, they said, number one, churches are cold and uncaring. Number two, there's too much emphasis on money. They're after my wallet instead of my heart. And number three, the sermons are dull and boring and church has absolutely nothing to do with everyday life. I think that's how this woman felt. She was raised in a religious background, but it didn't have any bearing now. The second thing we discover about this gal is that She had a history of failed relationships. 
As we read on, we discover that she was married not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five husbands this woman had. And at the present, she wasn't married to a husband. She was living with some guy in Samaria. She probably reached a point where she thought marriage doesn't work. Hey, it doesn't work for me. I've tried it five times. And they were all turkeys. So I'm just going to decide to shack up with somebody, no strings attached. And all she could do when she looked back is see a string of failed relationships that never really went anywhere. I heard a story about a woman who in a modern society married four husbands. She married a banker, a movie star, a preacher, and a funeral director. And when somebody said, why those in that order? She said, well, I married one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. (laughs) Of course, I don't think that was a true story. (laughs) But I'll tell you what is true. It is true that most people today, like this woman, more and more are viewing marriage as something that's passe, that doesn't work, So let's just shack up together, no strings attached. Because people are witnessing the breakdown of trust, hope, love, relationship. Again, people who study this sort of thing. University of Southern California recently did a study and they said 75% of all of the couples that they polled, 75%, said that their marriages were a failure and their homes were unhappy. Of all of the people they interviewed, most of them were unhappy being married. Therefore, a lot of people think, forget marriage. Relationships fail. I've tried them. You can't expect me to make a commitment until death do I part. Jesus, on the other hand, with His heart of love comes along and approaches this woman Listen to this phrase. It says, Jesus left Judea, departed again to Galilee, but He needed to go through Samaria. Now that's a very suggestive and powerful phrase. He needed to go through Samaria where this woman was. Now if you looked at it on a map, He didn't need to go through Samaria. In fact, the Jews took two different routes. There were three routes that went from Jerusalem to Galilee. And both of them went around Samaria. And so a Jew never needed to go to Samaria. In fact, they were cautioned, stay away from there. You don't even want to go near the place. A bunch of bad apples hang out there. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria because He needed to meet with this woman because He loved her. And He has a beautiful approach to her. And what this tells me is that first of all, Jesus Christ and His love is greater than any prejudice. There are no barriers. He doesn't look at people the way a lot of people today see class distinctions, racial distinctions, educational distinctions. People are the same to Him. And He needed to go through Samaria. Even though the Jews would reject that as being a place to hang out, Jesus knew there was a woman who needed His love. And then also, Jesus' love is greater than the social customs. Because we read here that he was speaking in a public place to a woman. And when the disciples come back and see Jesus talking to a woman, they marvel. They're blown away. And they start saying, what's the master doing talking to a woman? Now that's hard for us to understand. But in that day, 
Not only did the Jews not have anything to do with Samaritans, but Jewish men had nothing to do with women publicly. In fact, the rabbis would forbid another rabbi to even speak to his wife publicly. Listen, in those days, if there was one chariot in the family, the man rode in it, the woman walked. They were just not considered equal. You know, I know there's a lot of talk today about the liberation of women and the repression of women and our society pushes women down and we need to give them their proper place. And maybe there's a lot of truth to that. But listen, compared to the old cultures, you've come a long way, baby. (laughs) And you've got to understand something, that the great liberator of women is the Gospel. Because if you look at history, and most of the cultures that pushed women down and gave them a non-entity kind of a status. Christianity came and elevated the woman to the proper place that God had in store for her. In fact, we read in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, there is not male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. In fact, there were lots of women that followed Jesus Christ. They became disciples of Jesus Christ. He used them in His ministry. They were the last ones at the cross. They were the first ones at the resurrection. When all of the other strong men flaked out, the women were there to the very end. You know, men, Christians, the church has a lot to be thankful for when it comes to women. Let's face it, every human being does, right? Otherwise we wouldn't be here. I heard a legend about Adam and Eve and Adam was talking to God and said, God, you've given me this wife and it's really neat. Uh, Why did you make her so beautiful? He said, I made her so beautiful so that you'd love her. He said, well, that's neat, God, but I can't figure out why'd you make her so stupid? God said, so she would love you. (laughs) And then Adam realized he had a lot to be thankful for when it came to his wife. I'll tell you what. There's no greater love than Jesus' love. He had to go through Samaria. He loved that woman. He didn't care if people didn't talk to women publicly. He didn't care if the rabbis would gossip about him. He wanted to meet her. And his love is greater than anyone's character because we read here that this woman was kind of a woman of ill repute. She had a poor reputation. She had five husbands. Jesus will get to that. And she's shacking up with a man unlawfully against the custom of that day in a very flagrant kind of a manner. But yet Jesus loved her. Now, you've got to understand something about Jesus. He was very non-traditional, very non-religious. In fact, his greatest enemies were religious people. Did you know that? He loved harlots and people on the streets. And they all loved him because he was so embracing. He was so compassionate. He was so different. He didn't go to the upper class. He went to the lower class. He didn't go to Herod. He didn't go to Caesar. He went to shepherds. He went to people who would be open. And people were drawn to him because of his compassion that he had. He would go up and touch lepers, which was unlawful for a person to do. Of course, when he would touch them, they would be healed instantly. So there was a difference. But boy, did Jesus love people. And people really realized that. I heard an old legend again of a man who was making his travels across the world and as he was going he fell into a huge bog of quicksand and all of the great religious figures were there including Confucius 
who saw the man and said, It is evident that men should stay out of such places. That was his well-timed advice. On the other side of the quicksand bog was Buddha who said, Let this plight be a lesson to the rest of the world. Didn't help the guy any. On the other side of that hole was Muhammad who said, Alas, it's the will of God. But finally on the other side was Jesus who said, Take my hand, my son, and I'll save you. That's the difference. This woman was in the presence of someone who loved her unconditionally, not like all of the other men who had been in her life, who just saw something different, just wanted her for her body's sake. Jesus loved her heart, loved her soul, and she's about to discover how much this man loves her. And you know, that was Jesus' whole purpose. He said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. He likes to take people like the Samaritan woman and all of the people that others would say, there's not much to them. And take them and reclaim them and make something out of them. Now let me read just a couple more verses before I finish. Look at his method. He says in verse 9, The woman of Samaria said, How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Ah, here's Jesus' answer. If you only knew the gift of God and who it is who's telling you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then will you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Imagine asking God that. Who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Now, Jesus makes an appeal to her curiosity. Advertisers call this a hook. He says, you know, if you only knew who's talking to you, you'd be asking me for the water and I'd give you living water. Hmm, what's he talking about? And then he says, concerning the water in the well that she had come to draw, woman, if you take of this water and drink, you're going to get thirsty again. You will thirst again. You could write that verse over every human experience for which you are looking for fulfillment. Pick your well. Is your well in fame or in fortune or in your friends that are around you? Then you could write that saying over each one of those things. A lot of people drink out of the well of money. Well, you drink of that water, you'll thirst again. A lot of people look for just the right person. Oh, I'm such a miserable person. If I had Mr. Right or Miss Right, I know everything would be perfect. Well, that could help you out, but you drink of this water and you will thirst again. And you could write that over every human experience, but Jesus said... The water that I give him, if he drinks of it, he will never thirst. And the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain, get this, a spring of water that will spring up into everlasting life. In the Old Testament, God looked out at his people and he said, my people have committed two evils. They've done two things wrong. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Number two, they have dug out wells or cisterns that are broken and that can hold no water. Now, people do that all the time. Some of you are here tonight, and you've tried to get satisfaction, relief, meaning of life through lots of different things. And you know what? To you, this is just another New Year's. 
All of the resolutions that you have tried to keep, that you have broken, you look back and you think, what's the use of it all? What's the purpose and the meaning of my life? There's still that emptiness inside. I want to let you in on a little secret tonight. God put that emptiness inside. Did you know that? In fact, the Bible says that the Creator subjected us to emptiness. So that in our emptiness, in wanting to get that thirst quenched, we would look to the only one who can quench our thirst. And after drinking of a few wells, we'd wake up and go, wait a minute. This isn't what life is all about. This isn't the purpose that I'm on this earth. There's got to be something more. And that in that emptiness, we would search after God. This woman was searching. She just didn't know it. Jesus gets her in touch with that. You know, I know people to this day who think if they only had enough sex in their life, they would be totally fulfilled. Well, if that were true, then the prostitute should be the happiest person that you meet. If I only had a lot of cocaine or a lot of drugs, I'd be happy. Well, then the addict ought to be the happiest person, don't you think? I mean, he gets it all the time. He has to have it. Well, if I only had a lot of money, I'd be happy. Well, then the millionaires, the billionaires, the Trumps ought to be the happiest person. I just watched an interview the other night with Donald Trump. He's not too happy now. Because all that he placed his stock in is now gone and out from under his feet. And it seems like he's turning into a bitter man. Well, the conversation nears a climax and a close. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here and draw. And Jesus said, Go call your husband. And then come back. And the woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. Now you've got to picture what kind of a gal Jesus is dealing with. She's probably hardened. I mean, after five guys and now shacked up with a guy, she knows the ropes. So far, all of the answers have been cutesy little answers, you know, kind of uh, playing around and slapping back verbally. And Jesus now appeals to her conscience. He says, hey, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five of them. And now you're living with somebody who's not your husband. So, in that you have spoken truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. We call this going for the juggler in a conversation. They're having this conversation, talking metaphorically about water and literally about water, and Jesus finally says, go get your husband. And at that moment, Jesus cuts deep into her heart and opens up all of the past, all of the failures, all of the sin that she has had in her relationship. Now, why does Jesus do that? Why open that closet and show all of the skeletons? Why get her memory going back to all of her failures? For this reason, a person must have conviction to fully appreciate forgiveness. Jesus wants her to feel forgiven and get a new start. If you revolutionize, have a new year, a life. And so she has to get in touch with her sin. Billy Graham said the most, devasta most devastating thing about sin is that we become blinded to it. So Jesus is taking the mask off so this woman can see deep inside of her own heart. What's really fascinating to me is that as soon as she starts feeling the conviction, as Jesus puts His finger on her heart, she wants to conveniently change the subject. She starts getting religious all of a sudden. She says, 
I think that you're a prophet of some kind. Uh, hey, listen. Um, she goes on. Uh, you Jews worship in Jerusalem. Uh, we worship here in this mountain. Which is the best place? Jesus said, really, that's not the issue. The time is coming when people won't go here or won't go there and say, well, that's the right church. No, that's the right church. But they will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And Jesus is narrowing this woman down to her own need. Go get your husband. What if Jesus had an interview with you? Perhaps it's not immorality that He would deal with. Perhaps He would say to you, go get your income tax form. And you think, how do you know that? Or perhaps He would say, I've watched you flirting lately. You're a married man. You've been flirting with that girl at the office. How do you know that? Or He might say, go get your bottle that you drink out of every day for satisfaction. Jesus touches the greatest point of a person's need. And she starts wincing a little bit, moving around, sort of like when you go fishing. You hook that fish and that thing's going to try to squirm away. But Jesus has her on the line. And finally, Jesus makes an appeal to her hope. Listen to this last section. The woman said, Hey, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ, when He comes, He'll tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said, the one who is speaking to you is He. At this point, His disciples came and marveled that He was talking with a woman. This woman said, someday the Messiah will come. Someday things will get better. Someday things will change and there will be the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus said, the day is now. You'll never get any closer than this. You're talking to Him. The Messiah that you refer to someday, you're looking eyeball to eyeball with Him. Now Jesus said, if you only knew the gift of God. I could say that to so many of you tonight. Some, so many of you, like this woman, have been raised religiously, though it has no bearing on your life now. You have a history of failures, be it in relationships or in other things. You're kind of burned out. You're kind of fried out. And so you're trying to drink all that you can out of the wells that this world has to offer. But if you were to be in touch with your own feelings tonight, you would say, I'm burned out. It's not enough. I haven't found fulfillment. If you only knew how much He loves you, if you only knew what God has in store for you, if you only knew that He created you to have a dynamic, fulfilling relationship with Him, and if you only knew that that could happen now, tonight. Jesus Christ is present in this room. You say, how do you know that? Can you see Him? No, but He said, where two or three are gathered in My name, I'm in their midst. And listen, we've gathered in His name. And among all the music and the smoke and all of the little things, Jesus Christ, the most important person, is here in this room tonight to meet you and to meet your need. Now this woman, at that moment, had to make a choice. She could hold on to all of her past, her memories of five husbands, the guy she was shacking up with, and all the momentary pleasures. Or she could grab a hold of what Jesus had to offer. And as we read the rest of the story, that's the decision she made. She made the decision of the moment that was the decision for a lifetime. There's a church over in Europe with three inscriptions on three different doors as you walk into them. On a smaller door over on the right, 
The inscription above it says, All that pleases is but for a moment. On the door to the left it says, All that pleases. No, all that gives sorrow is but for a moment. All that pleases is for a moment. All that brings sorrow is but for a moment. And then over the larger door in the middle it says, Nothing is important except that which is eternal. That woman, when she came to that well, had no idea that she was going to meet someone who would take her into eternity. She's out there to get a drink of water. She's doing her stuff, doing her job. Jesus said, the one who is speaking to you is the one. I'm the Messiah. And she went away rejoicing, believing, and that she brought the rest of the fellows from the town to meet Jesus too, and they believed. She discovered something that some of you need to discover. That there is a big difference between religious knowledge and a background and the Lord Jesus Christ of the Gospel. Religion is man-made. The Gospel is God-given. Religion is man's attempt to grab God. The Gospel is God reaching down to man and saving them. Religion is a bunch of good views. The Gospel is good news. Religion sometimes is a farce. The Gospel is always a force that brings salvation and changes a person. But you know what? There's another truth to that. It doesn't come automatic. It must be received. Forgiveness doesn't just happen. It's not just a good feeling. Hey, went to a concert tonight. It was neat. Felt good. You personally must receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior over your entire life. Jesus said as many as received Him, He gave them the authority to become His children. Whoever would believe, cling to, rely on His name. That's the opportunity we want to give you tonight. And probably there's no better time than now. Because you're here. We're here. Jesus is here. And we're going to give you that opportunity. You know, there's a lot of people in this room, most of whom are excited about the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard them tonight. They've been clapping. They've been excited. They've been worshiping and celebrating. Is real. It works. It happens. But a person must receive it. Example, back in 1830, and I'll close with this, there was a man by the name of George Wilson who was caught and imprisoned for mail theft, stealing things from the Postal Service. At that time, the penalty in this country was death. Eventually, the president, Andrew Jackson, discovered the case and wrote the man a formal pardon. George Wilson refused it. And as this went back and forth in the legislature, finally, the decision was handed down. A pardon is only a pardon if it is accepted. If it's rejected, he's not forgiven. And George Wilson was hanged. A pardon is only a pardon if you accept it. We're going to bow our heads in a minute. We're going to say a word of prayer. And already as God is searching your heart, I'm going to ask you in just a minute to get up out of your seat. And to stand here and make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. You say, well, Skip, uh, I didn't bank on this tonight. I just wanted to come in and be anonymous in the crowd and just sort of clap and then leave. Can't I just say this little prayer in my heart? Do I have to get up and 
Well, let me tell you this. When Jesus died for our sins, He died with His arms outstretched publicly in a public place so everybody could see Him. And He made a declaration. He said, Whoever will confess Me before men, I will confess Him before My Father in Heaven. Whoever will deny Me before men, I will deny Him before My Father in Heaven. This is an opportunity. There's not a bunch of people here who will yell at you and mock you if you made that decision to come forward and receive Christ. They would cheer you on. They've been praying for that. In fact, they invited you that you might come to know Him. You're in an atmosphere of love tonight. And there's something about making it public that cements it in your heart. And so, after a word of prayer, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come and make that decision. Let's pray right now. Let's bow our heads. Father, we want to thank You that there's nothing quite like the love of Jesus Christ. No human love can even hold a candle to it. And this room is filled with people who've experienced that tonight. But there are also people who have come, though they may have a religious background, much like this woman. They are unfulfilled. They've searched in relationships. They've searched down many avenues. They've taken water from many wells. And yet they are thirsty again. In the midst of that is a promise from Jesus. And I pray that as you have spoken to many hearts in this room, that they will drink tonight from the well of living water and receive eternal life. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.